Welcome to the Ankler Podcast. This is Sean McNulty from the Wake Up Newsletter here at the Ankler, uh, here in New Jersey, again, on the morning of Friday, May 12th. Joining me are uh, Peter Kiefer from Los Angeles. Or, Well, Peter, are you in LA or maybe Bora Bora or Tuscany? Where, where's the Ankler sending you these days? What's uh, Where are you at? I'm I'm back to my very quotidian boring life. I'm I'm at home uh, here in lovely Venice Beach. So, but happy to be back. <laughs> good to, good to see you again. And of course, uh, Elaine Lowe, who's definitely in Los Angeles, no no, <laughs> very much all over Los Angeles this week. I'm sure, uh, which we'll get to in a second. Elaine, uh, good morning, and uh, how you doing? Hey, been on nearly every picket line in this city this week. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, get your, we'll get your Google tracking uh, record in a moment. Uh, and I'm sure you're very upset uh, that you won't be reporting on what kind of spread Netflix is going to do at their upfront next week. You're oh, uh, coming goodness, to I'm York. flying all the way out to New York next week. So I'm a little disappointed that they're not going to have an in-person upfront. Uh, yeah, Netflix. What the Elaine's coming to New York and, uh, you know, going, going back to Zoom. What yeah, the guys, hell? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but Elaine, do you want to run the NBCU presentation on Monday? I think there's an opening. Uh, oh, if you want goodness. to, run... can we talk about this? Because I, <laughs> I've been out on the picket lines all week covering stuff, and I feel like every time I come back and I open up the news, it's just like, what's happening? <laughs> so, yeah, John, so, tell me, Linda Yaccarino. Well, I mean, yeah, Linda Yaccarino, who's uh, the longtime head of NBC Universal ad sales and partnerships. Um, you know, it, <laughs> working for Elon, it's like, that's a great introduction, I think. So Elon Musk uh, tweeted yesterday that he was going to be stepping down as the CEO of Twitter in about six weeks and alluded to that there's a, a she coming in uh, that he had found to run the company. And Elon would be focused more on the on the tech part. No mention of who that was, but the Wall Street Journal found out last night that it was apparently Lydia Yaccarino. Um who, Days uh, before the upfront. Upfront, as you said, NBC's upfront. We're recording on Friday. It is on Monday morning. Uh, and Elon Musk chose to tweet that last night. And uh, Linda was let go or left or whatever you want to call it. But she will not, she's not at NBCU anymore. And um, that's that's where we're at. I mean, this is that's wild. This is, <laughs> it's, it's, it's wild, but it's also on brand for Elon. But I mean, again, any executive walking in the door there, it's like, Welcome to what you're walking into. This is not going to change. Even if he's not CEO anymore, this is what you want to be doing. Welcome to I, the dumpster fire. <laughs> yeah. I mean, kind of, Peter, I mean, anything I, I, to strike you is just, I mean, this is not only unprecedented, but just like, like, you know, she's a seasoned, you know, she's one of the leading voices in, in the advertising world, you know, much less at NBCU, but in the industry. And it's, it's, I don't know. It really just blew my mind. You know, the fact that it came right on the heels of uh, the Tucker Carlson announcement um, was even more sort of shocking to me. That's right. Um, um, to, to have, you know, that the optics of of, of, of ex- obviously an extremely polarizing character in Tucker Carlson announcing that his, you know, his next show is going to be on Twitter, which I think, according to reports I read, was yet again scared off any of the advertise many of the advertisers who were hoping <laughs> right. th- thinking about coming back. To then have your announcement come right on the heels of that is probably less than ideal for uh, for Miss Yaccarino. So, but you know, I, I mean, I at this point, can we anyone be surprised by the way things are are handled coming out of um, Elon Musk's camp? It's just, I mean, it's it's just it's par for the course these days. So, hey, look, I love Twitter. I hope Linda can turn it around or turn it into something cool, but uh, we'll see. Yeah, the uh, the proof will be in the pudding. We'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens next week. But 
Uh, so though anybody who was thinking about uh, taking the weekend off there in the ad sales group <laughs> certainly will be probably having a very active Friday and rest of the weekend to reconfigure all of that. Um, and over on the picket lines, Elaine, uh, so the WGA is now picketing college graduations. Is that, uh, did I see that headline this week? Oh, are you talking about Zaz? Yeah, I am talking about uh, Zaz. Yes. Yeah. Zaz is, let's see, which Boston, it's a Boston University? Boston University uh, okay. commencement speech. Uh, I believe it's next what week, I think. Time. But... Yeah. And he's not dropping out. And... No. Um, who's like... traveling to Boston? What riders are going to fly? Peter, are we sending pick... you to Boston for this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah which one of you two is covering this? Uh, you know, who are we flying out? Um, you're the you're the you're the expert these days, Elaine. But yes, I'm I'm um I'm I, I if if the anchor wants to send me there, I I will jump on a plane. Um, but see, I mean, I will be curious to see what's the profile of these protesters. You know, obviously, this is coming. You know, in an era when a campus protests are very common, and and but they're not. They're they're usually more about you know, a classic left right politics and uh, protesting against various you know, voices that uh, campus activists just don't want to see given a platform on their campus. I don't, this is a very, very different situation because it's very specific to this one sort of a labor dispute. So it'll be very interesting to see what kind of presence the WGA sort of marshals to get their, their members there and whether or not this this takes on a tone of any of the other sort of campus protests that we've seen uh, that have sort of, you know, rocked various um, uh, uh, colleges across the country. Also, which writers are out in Boston? Are they going to send yeah. Ben Affleck? Like what? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, there's certainly a lot of like IATSE members. Like, there's other guild members, production members. Right now, Boston is a pretty d- decent production city. Um, but yeah, I don't know how many writers are or we get a yeah. I really don't <laughs> try to think out loud. I'm like, I have no idea. Uh, but I'm anyway, out here in LA, the picket lines have been booming. Yeah, uh, what's uh, what's week two here, Elaine? Give me the give me the rundown here. So still lots of folks uh, out and about, spirits, very festive. I would say the hot ticket is still Netflix. It was it was Netflix last week. It is even more so this week. When I've gone this week, it's been even more crowded. And the writers have been organizing theme days. So there was Mom's Day at Netflix. When I got there on Monday, I was like, why are there so many kids here today? And it turns out that <laughs> <laughs> there were a bunch of mom writers who had brought their kids um you know there's a latinx day there's uh there was an asian american day yesterday uh and imagine dragons did a surprise concert which i missed uh, uh, that was at netflix. that was at netflix yes netflix okay. is the place netflix is the place where you get to the surprise concerts which is i mean the writers are saying hey let's give the other studios a little love because uh the universal and uh i think cbs and some of the other other lots aren't aren't, aren't as bustling but um mm. yeah i would i would say that people are still definitely out and about they're marching we'll see what spirits are like come week 10 week 11 yeah yeah, and and love is in the air, Elaine. You, uh, so I should say, so uh, Elaine is now in the daily newsletter game. So welcome to that, Elaine. How is uh, how's your sleep doing this week? Doing a oh daily my newsletter? god, okay. Did you guys know that a <laughs> daily newsletter comes out every day? <laughs> I heard somebody somebody told me that once, and I didn't know. I was like, no, like, that, what you the get hell? time off, don't you? <laughs> Well, I mean, look, I've been trying to also include just original reporting in, in our daily Straight Guys newsletter, which means being out and talking to writers and things. And uh, sometimes that means talking to two guys who got hit by a car yes. at Universal by a, a very aggressive driver, they say. 
uh, coming out of the lot last week. Uh, they thankfully were not hurt. Um, but this, I think, just reflects the rising tensions between the folks on the lot and the picketers who are making a lot of noise. Uh, obviously, the point is disruption uh, every day. Um, and so sometimes you cover two guys getting hit by a car. Sometimes you go to a singles mixer for writers, like I did on Wednesday night, because um, <laughs> the love is in the air. Love, There's love on the picket lines happening. Um, I've talked to a couple of people who actually met during the 07, 08 strike. Right. Um, and people are hoping to replicate that magic this time around. Yeah. So Yeah. There were like two, 300 people at a roadside taco at Universal on Wednesday night. And they had all just organized a big picket outside Universal. Part of that is to help bolster the Universal numbers. Um, right. and, uh, and, and, and people were just very excited. Yeah. So uh, just you can get that at uh, Strikegeist. That's a uh, G E I S T uh, dot com. That's a free newsletter, free newsletter from the Ankler. So be sure to sign up and you get Elaine's uh, daily missives, which come out in the evenings and uh, all the all the strike news over there. So definitely sign up if you haven't yet. Peter, you've been out uh, a bit on the lines as well. I have. I I, I was out at the um, the Sony lot. The very like when the when the, the struck the the clock struck one o'clock on the first day. Um, and then I popped over to uh, Amazon, uh, not far from there. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think it, generally, I feel like the enthusiasm remains high. I've I've been loving Elaine's coverage. It's been excellent. Um, I thought just two thoughts on on her reporting. Um, you know the the. There was rumors that some of these, uh, maybe one one or several of the streamers would be shutting down their offices um, at some point during, if this thing drags on. And I think the reason why the uh, Elaine's story about the, that incident with the car, if there's any more of those, I would not be surprised if you could start seeing some of these uh, companies uh, instructing their employees that they don't have to come into the offices at all, because I, 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 it's, it's clear that they want to avoid any of those incidents. And if any more of those happen, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if people just started working remotely for a while. Um, and then as far as, you know, I, I, I saw the, uh, that, that concert outside Netflix and apparently, you know, people are rolling up with, with, with food and catering and whatnot. And now people are, you know, hooking up on on the picket lines is starting to feel like the it's like a mini Coachella outside of Netflix with uh, <laughs> with all this activity. I might have to head over there and sort of partake in this thing because it sounds it sounds actually kind of fun if if you hit it at the right <laughs> hour. Uh, and people are sending food trucks, right, Elaine? Wasn't you reporting a few, little bit of that? Oh yeah. Well, let me tell too, you right? what's happening today. Apparently, the late night hosts are going to be sending food trucks around CBS Radford and Disney uh, and a couple of the other lots. So okay. if you're that's a way to get attendance up at CBS. There you go. Listen. <laughs> send some free free food truck over there uh yeah that's been yeah. the inter interesting part to say peter no, no just my last thought was the um it's 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 gonna i think now it's it's about you know when if if and when fatigue sets in and it doesn't seem like we're even close to that yet um elaine you could chime in on that and um and secondly i think everyone's looking at what the directors guild are doing um obviously everyone's parsing their language like you know, it's like uh, like the CIA or the FBI is issuing, you know, internal memos about, you know, what's happening across the world. It's like quite literally sort of studying the language that they're using to try and get some sort of indication uh, of where they're headed. And, you know, I think that, you know, based upon sort of my inexpert analysis, that the writers should feel pretty good about where they are right now. 
Yeah, I mean, that's the, so the DGA did start their negotiations on Wednesday. I haven't heard much of anything, Elaine. I don't think you have seen too much. It's obviously very no, early they're days on here, a right? Media blackout for this. Right, right. So would, who's to say? But uh, I think, yeah, I think at this point, the writers are still feeling pretty confident, especially with the, there was a showrunners meeting last Saturday where they were essentially advised, like, the studios are asking you to come in and do your A through H producing duties, your non-writing duties. Uh, but we have to stand firm and not give in to those demands. Uh, and a lot of showrunners, at least the ones I've spoken to, firmly believe that any kind of producing duty that relates to the story, whether that's choosing the score or looking at footage that's being edited, is all writing. Yeah, and uh, certainly Tony Gilroy made a, a couple of headlines this week uh, with the uh, Andor, uh, uh, the star his Star Wars series uh, season two, initially saying you know he wouldn't do any writing duties, but he would oversee those things you say, Elaine, the mixing, casting, and so forth, and then. Had a meeting with I think Chris Kaiser, a few different uh, WGA folks, and then took that similar stance. Elaine, where just he's really you know pens down and everything down uh, at this point, and and uh, staying on staying off that way. And certainly this week, a lot of news came out about deals being suspended. So uh, the studios and Netflix um, are suspending deals for anybody. They're writing deals for anybody who is not actively in production. Right, Elaine, was that the, the gist there? Right, and. We're seeing in terms of the trickle down uh, impact, which I think we're going to see a lot more of in, in coming weeks. I've already heard of production companies, literary management companies uh, having to lay off staff. I mean, obviously, support staffers in writers rooms, once they shut down, were all laid off immediately. But we're starting right. to see the ripple effect across the industry. So there's going to be some financial pain in the near term. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's a deal suspension, not deal cancellation. This isn't force majeure or anything like that at this point, um, which I think is at least a month, Elaine, or my understanding of it. So it's certainly some time to come in terms of any deal cancellations uh, overall coming from this. But that was the next step. Um, just in terms of the quickly the week ahead here. So, uh, in, uh, you know, the upfronts will be the new brunt of this, I guess, right? They'll be picketed every day, I would guess, right? Elaine, is that the. Oh, that's what I am expecting. And that's part of the reason why I'll be out there to see what the upfronts are going to be like. It'll be a very interesting first upfront for me, not a typical one. I right. expect that we won't see Jimmy Kimmel doing his usual right. shtick at Disney because you need writers to, to do that, right? <laughs> yep. And he's not doing a show. Why is he going to the upfront? Exactly. Right. Seth Meyers, uh, same thing over at NBCU. Um, and the Tonys is a conversation that's starting to get a little, a little conversation delayed. That's coming up, <clears throat> excuse me, in about a month. So, uh, it seems like people are kind of on their gripping by the fingernails, like they're going to get by with this show, but I don't see how, I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that, yeah, that at this point? At this point, it's like, you look at any kind of upcoming event, you look at what happened to the MTV awards last week, which right. were initially going to be live and then were taped. Everything is just sort of like dot, 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 question mark. What are we going to do here? Yeah. I mean, it's it a CBS like production. It's, you know, right. It's, I mean, it's the Tonys, but it's the TV show, you know, it's, it's an active production, right? Yeah. And, and it just, it, it feels like these decisions are all being made day to day, you know, week to week. Like you really just can't even make them too far out. Yeah. Yeah. And then over at SAG after their date for um, uh, negotiations, I think is June 7th, I believe, um, or something that first week of June there. Uh, the head of SAG, Fran Drescher, certainly um, names in the headlines this week. Uh, here's the clip that uh, that got a bit of attention, uh, at least on Twitter. I think otherwise, other, other where, other where, other places. Um, so let's uh, take a listen to what she had to say. So it's a very big, complicated conversation, and I don't think 
what's very important to writers, and I'm a writer too in the WGA, is the kind of stuff that we're going after. So, uh, although I'm very empathic for their needs, um, I feel like our conversation is going to be very different, and I feel very hopeful that maybe we won't get to this point. So, Elaine, you know, this came out. I think there was a bit of reaction, which then she put a different statement out or walk me through a little bit of kind of what what this ripple effect might have been this week. So, as we heard in the clip, she told Deadline, uh, I think it was outside Paramount, that, it, you know, quote, it's a very big, complicated conversation. And I don't think what's important to the writers is the stuff we're going after as actors in SAG. And there was a lot of backlash to that because a a lot of actors say, hey, you know, we are looking for the same things. We're looking for better residuals. We're looking for, uh, you know, a better restructured business model and streaming. Uh, You know, we also want improved wages. Um, You know, there's also some of the other similar technological percolating concerns about AI, which really has come to the forefront of discussions in a way that I don't think, at least I didn't anticipate, uh, as the strike began. Um, But yeah, a lot of actors chimed in to say, hey, like, actually, our concerns are pretty similar. Uh, And she kind of walked back those those comments a little bit a day later. Um, But uh, but but yeah, as the, the president of that union, that obviously caused a lot of concern. Yeah, you mentioned you know kind of the messaging and the the leads coming out of of, of the uh, strike so far. Uh, certainly, you know, day one was the WGA put out their document, and then we had about three days later the AMPTP put out their document. Um, uh, you know, so Peter, where where does the me- I guess the messaging wars is one way to put it? Uh, and this, what's standing out to you at this point on this? You know, I was um, I took notice when the, uh, the Writers Guild. Um, was accusing the other uh, studios and networks and streamers of trying to turn the industry into a quote unquote gig economy, um, which I th- interpreted as actually kind of a KG uh, nice PR strategy. I, and I think for, for, for two reasons, one um, uh, the, the, it, at least within California, the gig economy is a, is a hot button topic, and largely because the the, the role and power of the it, it, the immense role and power that Silicon Valley is playing in the California economy, um, and how um, effectively many of the biggest companies um, that have dominated you know that that community uh, have been accused of you know treating workers poorly. Uber is the famous one, but uh, it, that extends beyond them. Uh, and so I felt like the, the using the usage and the, uh, of, of gig economy in these talks was effective uh, because it it shifted the idea that that the town um, is now kind of governed by the values coming out of Silicon Valley uh, as opposed to um, the values that were coming out of the studios and the network system. And I think it's fair to say that the streamers, the large, large of the reason why we're in this situation is because the streaming economy has put the creative community uh, in, in in a position that they feel like they have no alternative other than to strike. So by framing this and 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 pushing these terms that are in, in the in the minds of the general public, make people think uh, and invoke the fights that are going on uh, to, to sort of protect workers in Silicon Valley. I, th- I thought that was a a, 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 kind of a smart, uh, PR strategy to invoke that term. Um, and so I, you know, and then, and then the, um, the, the second point on the gig economy is that, you know, it, it, 
these short these shortened shows, these mini rooms, they it it does in in a way it it does speak to this idea that there is not the kind of money swirling around uh, in the older system when the studios and networks were you know commissioning uh, much longer shows, much larger rooms. So, anyways, I I I I thought it was uh, I thought it was smart. I thought it was, I thought it was a cagey move. Yeah. Yeah, the two narratives, I mean, the gig economy is getting, I think, got more t- attention this week. I don't know, kind of came out the initial document, you know, on, on May 2nd, I guess it was. And then this week seems to be messaged much more and in different ways, Peter, across like and give you, and here's 10 examples of what, what I'm talking about versus just that broader, you know, uh, conception of gig economy. And I think the AAPTP is kind of going, you know, the, they're asking for for quotas. That's what, the, you know, and we don't do quotas. And, you know, that's a poor way you kind of evoke the, the worst people's worst inclinations of unions that you're telling us you need to hire six guys to move a truck when an M1 guy can do, you know, that kind of like old union mentality. Elaine, is that, I don't know, is that, that's kind of what's been crystallizing on both sides of what their main points might be outside of the AI thing, which I do want to pick up on in a second. But is that, what, what is your kind of interpretation of the messaging at this point off on both sides in the, in the public sphere? Yeah, I mean, I think in the public sphere, the writers have been very effective in hammering home this message that this business isn't what it used to be and you can't make the same kind of living, which, of course, to you know a middle America audience is going to play a certain way when you have fairly, you know, a fairly plumb job before if you were on a broadcast <laughs> network show. Um, right. But I, I I do see the point, you know, when writers come and tell me that like, hey, I've been stuck on this mini room and they don't pay quite the same way. And this might be the only thing I do all year. And, you know, what happens then when I'm trying to live on 50K a year in Los Angeles, where the cost of living is just insanely high? And I understand that, too. Yeah. Yeah, and I've been seeing a lot more examples, just again, just examples of things, whether on podcasts or written pieces, uh, just about the real, uh, a lot. but we had a piece uh, this, this week, which we talked about from uh, Nicole Laporte at The Angler, just d- diving into what a showrunner's job is and how many, how many things they get, you know, <laughs> fired from it a year, how much, you know, a showrunner used to be, you were the person really driving the show for every season or most seasons, maybe the first three or four at least, and now you know, that job, uh, you're on your own and you're doing a lot more work. And a lot of a few people in the article were saying, you know, with the amount of time I'm working on these shows now and how many episodes we're doing, which is far less, their average rate of being of pay is what it used to be when they were a staff writer, you know, 10 years ago on a, you know, on an ABC sitcom or whatever it was. So uh, Nicole's piece have really resonated that to me or uh, crystallized that for me a bit too, Elaine. Did that, what was your take on that? Right. And I hear that from writers of all levels. It's obviously more difficult these days for an entry level writer to get to a staff writer. But even when you talk to, you know, co-EPs or or upper level writers or showrunners, it feels like those wages, according to them, are being depressed. And the amount of work that they're being tasked with doing over a, a broader span of time has dramatically changed from what it used to be. Um, and, you know, if you read Nicole's excellent piece, uh, you, you, there's a there's a quote here from um, one of the members of the WGA's negotiating committee, um, Yalin Chang from The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, you know, she's saying, quote, instead of having seven, eight, nine writers to do your show, you have no writers. By the time a mini room 
say, is dissolved, like you have a bunch of scripts that constantly need to be reviewed based on production. And then almost every time you go into production with a script, you're told to cut a million dollars out of the budget. So you have to rewrite the script and you're doing it entirely of your own. And right. that, you know, there are showrunners who have made themselves, quote, physically unwell in order to just get a show done. And she called it this crazy sweatshop mentality for the person at the top. So it doesn't sound like a lot of fun being a showrunner. <laughs> that was exactly, <laughs> that, was, that was like, that should be, the, the, that was the, the name of the, the the lead for the piece. I'm like, yeah, being a showrunner sucks. I'm like, essentially, it's like. <laughs> I don't want to be the boss. Like... <laughs> it's, it's, it sounded like a showrunner. It sounds so oh my, you know, empowering. And it's like, nope, I'm actually, yep, just the guy doing it. The woman doing a lot of all administrative the work. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of HR, a lot of HR things are talked about too, as well, and mm -hmm. the nature of writers' rooms and having to deal with you know that's been a new uh, advancement and you know and a, yeah, and a that, positive that's, one. That's but sort of a, a generational change in, in when you have more millennials and now obviously more Gen Zs in writers' rooms and the way you talk about things changes. And I think the the the, the politics and the dynamic of that is very complicated. Um, you know, when when you have the writer's room in theory being this safe space, but what does that mean? What does that mean? Does that mean you can just say anything that yeah. that other people may deem offensive? Um, or, you know, does that mean that, you know, you have to sort of still treat things with with a certain amount of respect and sensitivity? I mean, it's just it's it's a complicated situation. Yeah. And it falls on the showrunner to sort you know to sort through it's like really is they're the person navigating a lot of this stuff and it's not an hr representative from cbs coming in until like you know like the last you know if it gets to a really far along right, state they have to but, set the tone and every room is uh, different yeah every room is different and they're being brought into a lot more different rooms and every season to season now you know it's about chemistry in the room and if you know if you have the same people in the room every year that you you know you have the feel for that if every time you come back to a your show you have you to reset know, the tone yeah, the writers are reset you know or, or half the writers are reset or whatever it might be so it just it was a it was a fascinating read i recommend it highly go check it out you know over at, at the com from nicole um but i want to shift a little bit now there's a lot of industry news <laughs> business news going on uh elsewhere this week and uh, another big earnings week final earnings week finally elaine Earnings, oh my gosh! I, is over. This is my uh, my other deep shame is that I have did not listen to the <laughs> Disney earnings call this week. I think this may be the first time in literally like eight years that I have not listened to a you know, Disney Iger, call. I'm spiraling, John. <laughs> I, Iger did say, "Where's Elaine?" So you know, I was a little like, "Ah, oh, I'm sorry, man. She's on the picket line. You know, it's really <laughs> she'll be there next time. I'm sure she sends she sends her regards. Give us give us the recap. Uh, yeah, I mean. I, the one thing, I mean, the, I'll start with this in that, uh, you know, Disney announced their, you know, their write-offs are essentially going to be of content where, you know, be 1.5 to $1.8 billion. Oh, so, so they're just as here. But they're, well, they're, yeah, exactly. So to add, that's added on to Paramount's just, you know, they released uh, $1.6 billion uh, was their total. Zaslav's was at least $4.1 billion. That was last year. So this is seven billion dollars at least, seven to eight billion dollars that is being written off and is essentially not going to be spent anymore on TV and film production. You know, and they're not going to add that back in. It's not like you know, like it's not like oh, it's a one time and then we'll restore it in the future. I'm like, no, they're they've say they're saying we've spent eight billion dollars too much on this content fire hose that's been going on for the past six years. You know, six years. So. Putting back to the strike a little bit, but when this strike ends and it will end at some point, and writers will go back to work, 
there's going to be a lot fewer jobs out there no matter how this goes goes around. Like, you know, I mean, the, yes, the Apple fire hose is still out. Amazon is still spending to a degree. And Netflix has said they're maintaining that $17 billion. So they're not going up, but they're not really going down at this point. But you have three of three or four of, you know, seven major buyers out there saying, we're not spending, we're not making as much anymore, which means we don't need as many, we're not going to be as many running jobs out there anymore when, when you guys come back. Well, I think the framing of this is important too, right? Because we had, in a sense, there's there's a sense that this there was a this is a correction to the the right. spend of the last few years. The number, the sheer number of things that were commissioned during the pandemic, we already hit. When did John Langraf first use that great peak TV? That was <laughs> like what, 2015, 2016? Uh, yeah, yeah. There had already exactly. been hundreds and hundreds of shows. So if you look at that on a chart, it's like that 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 line like zips up real fast. So this is you know really a, a correction and a pullback in in that over commissioning of shows. And and yes, it will impact the writers when they come back from that strike. Um, but it's it will take us back to, you know, I'm curious, will, will that take us back to like 2018 levels? Like, you know, it's not it's not necessarily going to completely, you know, reset things to zero. No, it's not a zero reset, but it's it's and, and there's been a boom in Writers Guild, you know, uh, WGA membership, you know, because, again, more shows need more writers there's more opportunity. You know, when you look back in the, I think in the history of, you know, of streaming and we look at, say if we're in 2018, 2028, and we're looking back at it and we're still doing this podcast for some reason, or whatever other medium or, or our AI avatars are doing this podcast for us, either way, uh, you know, in terms of that chart, what is that chart going to look like? And it's, it'll be, I think, a bit of an aberration in terms of there was this one time in Hollywood where we all knew it made no sense. It wasn't like everybody, everybody all looked around saying, well, subscribers keep going up. Wall Street seems you know, to be happy. And there's a period from 2017 to, I'll say, 2022. And the land graph chart came out every year and it went up and, you know, 600 shows. Okay, I guess that's what people want. And everybody out there is being like, there's too much to watch. I can't watch anything. I can't find anything. You know, there's a lot of things that just didn't make sense that are now being corrected for various reasons, more market forces than anything else. But in that boom, you know, became all these issues with the writer, you know, writers' rooms. All these things came up. Many rooms. This all kind of happened, you know, as a side effect of all this stuff. So, but the world we're coming back to now, or will come back to, say, you know, end of the year, is at again Disney, Paramount, and and WBD have all now publicly and and written off all this money and essentially said we're not going to our budgets are not going to be you know. Uh, the volume's not going to be there anymore. Um, we're going to still have some shows. It's, it's like, TV's not going away, but we're going back to a model that was a little bit before, which didn't employ as many writers as it did in the boom. But I don't know, Peter, does any of this kind of resonate to you at all? Or I'm kind of, I mean, it's just something that kind of came to mind as I just listened to my third billion dollar write off of content here. I'm like, there's got to be a, an effect of this stuff eventually. You know, I thought um, the term irrational exuberance comes to mind when you're sort of mm. thinking about the past five or six years and Elaine's excellent point when, you know, we've been talking about peak TV for, you know, for right. so long now. So it, I mean, one thing that I would just, just add to this is that, you know, I was speaking with um, a very informed former uh, studio exec and he was saying this wall street it, money was cheap and, and wall street was giving these companies a, a pass on, on spending. And, and that just created this atmosphere that everyone was you everyone was just going this this is unsustainable this is this is crazy and let's just ride it out 
and now that we've seen interest rates go up, money isn't as cheap as it used to be. And 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 Wall Street's saying, okay, we, the, you guys aren't necessarily tech stocks. We 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 were treating you guys like tech stocks, but right. you're actually media companies. And I think that that really uh, shifted the calculation. And and again, I think it, it underscores the power that Wall Street has over the entertainment industry in a way that, that you know historically uh, that that they haven't wielded that much power. So it's it's fascinating that it's happening during this this strike yeah. uh what does that signal to the negotiators um how does that change the dynamics i don't know any i don't have an answer to that um but it it is it is it is it is crazy to think that we just lived through this period and that resulted in a strike you know uh some something is screwed up in 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 the system uh don't but there's somebody far smarter than me needs to figure out how to fix it but that's such a good point right and that's exactly what i was thinking about of how much has wall street driven this boom right and this growth at all costs model that you see in tech companies that wall street was suddenly pushing on a bunch of honestly quite traditional studios i mean outside netflix and you know the the small divisions at Amazon and and Apple, and pushed them into this position by saying like, "Hey, like this is this is what's going to get our juices flowing when you're you know when you're able to drive these subscribers numbers up in in the way that you have been, and the only way to do that is to pump more money into the the content pipeline. And so it's like, what happens when you apply a growth at all costs model to entertainment? And I think we're seeing the effects of that now. Yeah, and we're about to enter a hangover. I think is what I'm, you know, just this these write downs, and we're we're already entering it. You know, call it what you will, but uh, and I think, look, I think what the writers are, you know, looking to preserve, and I think is, is very very important, and making you know eliminating a lot of bad policies that came up. I think that's all well, you know, well and well intentioned and and needed. Um, but I do think that any sense that. Even if they, you know, hopefully, you know, if they win these, the things they're looking for, it's not a panacea and that, oh, great, we've gotten this, all these practices will end. I'm like, there's going to be just in the, all these, these larger factors here, a different reality of TV writing. We're going to enter a new phase of volume, which just volume is jobs, you know, less shows, less jobs. That's just basic, you know, uh, math on that. And also on top of that, Peter, I'm going to add to that is that the growth is stagnating, the subscription growth, you know, so back to the numbers, Elaine, this week. So Disney lost, Disney Plus lost 300,000 subscribers in the US. Globally, you know, I mean, the India problem is a whole, (laughs) people can read the wake up. I did a whole breakdown of what, you know, the the Disney Plus hotstar, but they, you know, they essentially lost 4 million subscribers globally, mostly because of the India drop off. Um, But there's no, you know, Europe, or rest of world, essentially Europe and Latin America, I think was a 900,000, which is, you know, these are nothing to write home about numbers, as you know, Elaine, from, you know, the, the past few years here. Same thing was at Netflix, you know, their numbers, again, they had some APAC growth, but the US has pretty much been 72, 73 million for a good, you know, a good year plus now. And this is the new reality. HBO Max was the same thing. Paramount Plus does not disclose their a lot of numbers, but, you know, uh, let's presume most of their growth was inter- international. So, you know, even that narrative of what they were being re- rewarded for, you know, if we were still on that basis, Elaine, the, re- the rewards came from the subscriber, you know, numbers, right? And it's like, they would be punished right now if they had to be live on those subscriber numbers anymore. They're, they're pivoting to money to, you know, profit, but 
Oof. Yeah, I was I was going to say, like, that's why you're seeing this pivot right now of like, actually, don't look at the subscriber numbers, even though we've been <laughs> asking you to look at the subscriber numbers for the last five years. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it's yeah. And, and the price so of Disney's profitability, they still lost, you know, six hundred sixty million dollars on streaming. It's less than the one point one billion they lost in the last quarter, which is less than the one point five billion they lost before that. And they're still on a path to profitability and Iger's, you know, look at, and the consumer's also paying for this, you know, so Disney Plus is the price is going to go up again by end of the year. It didn't say how much, but the, the for the ad free tier. Um, and so bigger picture consumer, you know, the 2010s were the, the, the era of no ads and it's a cheap price. And now the 2022 is uh, here's what it really costs. And by the way, if you don't want to pay that, you got to watch a, boatload of ads and it's only uh, the ad load of which is only to get longer or get bigger you know as it goes along when they need to again how do you get growth that's going to be it's not going to be from subscriber growth it's going to come from raising prices and then stuffing more ads into the experience over time to and what is that what does that read cable television filling the destiny of transitioning the cable bundle online right. yep this is what it is. What's what do people hate about cable? How about how expensive it is and how many ads there are? <laughs> <laughs> Literally was the reason why people love streaming because I didn't have all this stuff I hated. And by 2026, I guarantee you that's going to be the exact same sentiment that people have about this new. You know, yeah, I don't evolution. think you're wrong about that. <laughs> yeah, you got to get paid. It's like, you know, listen, nobody's get, you know, you got to keep these executives in the lifestyles they're accustomed to. Come on. Money's going to come from somewhere. So we shall see. Um, And, and just the cap on that certainly paramount had big losses like speaking of the cable bundle this week they cut or they are cutting 25 percent of their cable network staff that i mean you guys that's that's just i mean massive i mean i whatever the headcount number is i don't you know but you know amc networks cut 20 percent. we're all like oh my god you know they're they're very dire straits this is bigger than that did just i don't know what did what was your take on that what what did you what did, what came to mind when you guys saw that and those are those are massive numbers, and it's really unfortunate that we're in a period of time where I feel like we just keep seeing wave of layoff after layoff, and there's just, I, I mean, it's like I, there's there's nothing else to say about it except that it just really sucks for the people who get affected. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I will mention, and it's yeah. and, and and that it's impacting you know the journalist community so deeply is even more troubling. Um, it's just it's just rough. It's so rough out there. Yeah. So part of that news was MTV News is. Done. Um, just Gen Xers in the room. Do we need to pour one out? Uh, I was going to ask Elaine, what is your relationship with MTV News? I think Peter and I probably have a similar one, but uh, <laughs> does that mean anything to you or what? <laughs> oh, I saw it and was like, oh, so many Gen Xers. It's going to be sad today. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I Peter, something Kurt Loder. <laughs> I know, and, and the I will give the shout out to the Hollywood Reporter who did a roundup of all of the uh, Kurt Loder and Tabitha and Suchin and doing an oral history of MTV News, which is a great read to check out. I put a link in that in the in the wake up this morning. Uh, but Peter, but I, yeah, my, my this, condolences. Uh, thank you, Peter. What was I mean? Yeah, I mean, I I, I agree. Uh, my friend Seth Abramovich did the. Uh, I think. Oh, he did, okay. He's, yeah, he's, he's a good pal, and he did a great job. Uh, yeah, it's very. I you know I grew up on it. I was I'm I'm smack dab in that era and you know tabitha soren and, and kurt loader were you know they were like figures in my in our in our childhood and it's um you know it's a bummer it's like you know it, it gets to this notion of nostalgia and you know trying to sort of you know live back you know pull back on uh you know the moments in your life that were those formative years and yeah it's just it sucks it's a bummer yeah yeah 
Uh, and so it goes in hand in hand with, you know, the vice entering bankruptcy imminently, uh, seems like, and, and Buzzfeed reporting, uh, 30, was it 36 million dollar loss and a 67 million dollars of revenue? Uh, you know, uh, this this narrative again is kind of hangover. This, their their hangover from the 2010s is earlier than the the the, the Hollywood hangover in a sense, but it's it's uh, that was pumped up on the social platforms and streaming was pumped up on Wall Street. You know, appetite for for streaming subscribers and uh, it's it's a similar a lot of similar parallels going on, but not easy. You know, uh, on either side of the coin there. Um. But look, I mean, I've heard of it in the wake up, but MTV schedule on Wednesday was, was it six hours of catfish? And uh, I think it was another 17, 14 hours of ridiculousness. And whatever the math is on the ridiculous system made up the whole of the rest of the schedule. I'm like, it's just, you know, this, this notion that Peter and I probably, it didn't probably do a small extent of what MTV is. It's like, it just isn't that. And all the, all these cable networks that, the, that, you know, Chris McCarthy cut all these staff from, it's like, yeah, you probably you know, they have to find it. They have to milk as much money from that cable bundle for as long as they can till they pivot to a profitable model and streaming or whatever the future is going to be. And the first way is stripping all the programming costs out, which they've clearly done to the, the, the degree that they can. And then secondly, when you've done that, you've got to cut staff and keep them, run them as leanly as possible. And we've seen that also at Disneyland with those the first round of layoffs. And they still have 3,000 layoffs coming, by the way, in another week or two, right? Yeah, these are shitty times for folks in the industry because you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop, and that can't possibly be good for morale at work. Oh God, I mean, yeah, it's just uh, the absolute worst um, in Paramount. Is at the center of that right now, and they're still combining uh, Paramount and Show uh, and Showtime into Paramount Paramount Plus with Showtime. Still doesn't have a launch date yet for the for the summer, and um, we shall see. So, uh, anybody have some good news? Anybody? No. The Lakers are uh, they're one game away from making the Western Conference Finals. That's... They're going to have to face Denver, though, man. I got to tell you, the Jokic is uh, looking pretty good. Sorry, Liam, we're going to have sports talk for 30 seconds. So yeah. sports. <laughs> L.A. Lakers are back, and the Knicks are still in it. They're playing tonight, but we'll see how that goes. So L.A. and New York are back in sports. Who knew? There you go. There's some good news for you. And Endeavor's doing great, Peter. I know you were worried about it, but uh, they've, they've become your grandfather all of a sudden. They're talking about dividends and uh debt repayment and uh these are the lead stories coming out of out of endeavor this week so yeah yeah uh, i'm 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 working on an endeavor story right now so i saw that news and that was very interesting yeah yeah it's uh chugging along over there so we'll any see, kind of uh... teaser you can give us peter <laughs> it's actually focused a little bit more on the on the talent agency side of of um of their business and but endeavor definitely plays a role so that's about all i can say right now all right, coming soon in the Ankler. Uh, Elaine, have you been a good daughter and got your tickets for book club the next chapter yet for mom? Or uh, what's what's going on for the weekend? If I weren't being sent out to upfronts on Sunday, I'm actually going to be flying out <laughs> on Mother's Day. But uh, but no, I'm going to take mom to go see book club two as soon as possible. All right, probably, you got to fly in Mother's Day. Oh, I'm sorry, you got to fly in Mother's Day. That's terrible, man. Upfronts, <laughs> ruthless, <laughs> ruthless, ruthless. Um, <laughs> Uh, Peter, anything, uh, on your radar these days, we should, I should be aware of, or reader, uh, listeners here should be aware of in terms of what you're watching or what, uh, what you're hearing about these days. You know, I, I, I mean, again, sorry, I've been, my, my, my nights are consumed with parenting and sort of staying at tabs of the NBA playoffs. This is the one time of year when I really indulge in, in, in sports. Um, right. but I'm actually really enjoying the diplomat on Netflix, the Carrie, um, oh. Carrie Russell show. And I think that, um, 
I think it's 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 quite good. And and uh, and then I'm obviously I'm, I'm embarrassingly having to catch up on um, Succession. Um, and I was even way behind on White Lotus too. So that sort of speaks to like I'm not I'm I'm not exactly the you know the guy to turn to for what's in the zeitgeist right now. Fair enough. No, that's good. Diplomat's up there. That's been doing very well. Everybody uh, talks about the Diplomat. I got to get on that. It's good. I mean, I again going going back to the that Gen X Carrie was uh you know with Felicity. It's great to see her still out, and she's doing she's really good in it. Doing really well, and uh, yeah, the night agent, the, their political intrigue and spy the genres are back there. Netflix and doing very well, so I think they've they've and they have a few more in the works uh, in the same line. So, Elaine, what's hot on the on the picket lines? What are people talking about? What are you watching? What's uh, give me an update on you know what, what what's the buzz out there? It's a very wide ranging set of conversation topics, Sean. Like, <laughs> what are people talking about on the picket lines, and also what are you watching? Um, <laughs> well, in regards to what they're, what shows are talking about, not that, oh, that's brass specific ones. About... Yeah. Yes, that's oh, what I mean. You know, I haven't actually overheard anybody talking about any shows on the picket lines, but I have to keep an ear out for that. Okay, um, right. I've actually been uh, incidentally catching up on season six of Billions, a show I love, oh. uh, which happens to be in the headlines a lot. This yeah, that's because they're. Yeah has been shut down it's being very aggressively picketed by the writers out in new york so i will have to go and check that out next week yeah you'll have to go check out the picket line exactly yeah, yeah. uh it's been shut down quite a few days i've seen so um i will throw in two cents of uh you guys heard of bupkis at all the pete davidson show on peacock no okay. i haven't seen it all I right catch up. all right that was i enjoyed that definitely more in the uh I'll say mid forties white guy demo uh, from Pete Davidson's starring show. Uh, kind of like Master of None meets Entourage. I guess was the best way I, I, I could think about it. Like it, each episode is kind of tailored, you know, to a different. It's obviously it's overarching narrative about a version of Pete Davidson. You know, uh, some of which, as they say at the top of the show, is you know fictionalized, but obviously inspired by by real events. But that was. You know, it didn't land all the landings of what you wanted to do, but I was like, there's a lot. It was really, I watched all of it uh, in a weekend and eight episodes, half hours, you know, really easy, easy watch in that sense. And I'd be really curious to see what they do with the two, season two as well. So I hope that that show comes back. So shout out to that. And then I'll be the nerd that I am and recommend a uh, frontline documentary, which I recommended in the newsletter uh, called The Age of Easy Money, Peter, all about why we are where we are. And uh, if you want to understand everything, Peter was alluding to about the larger market, about these market forces that have created this atmosphere that we're all living in and all these layoffs that we're talking about and how the raising interest rates really plays a big role in this. It all even dates back to the 2008 recession. And just a shout out to the front line did an amazing job on that. You can watch that in the uh, PBS app, which is free uh, public television, still alive. Uh, that's called. Yeah, I was going to make fun of you, but that actually sounds really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was like, Elaine, uh, Peter might make fun of me. Elaine, you can't, but you, yeah, yeah, I don't know. You're already in the penalty box. You're missing the Disney earnings call. So that's it. You're already there. But that's called uh, the age of easy money. So um, anyway. Uh, as always, I'll be covering all the action at the box office, which will be a little quiet this weekend. We'll see what Guardians uh, Volume 3 Weekend 2 does. I think it's probably more the the thing that everybody on town is around well, Just town wait is. until I help boost the box office. If I finally go see Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> yeah, that, that <laughs> one's gone. That one's gone, Elaine. If you see Book Club, I think we'll, we'll, give, you the, <laughs> we'll give you the points there. Um, but I'll be wrapping all that up on Monday morning uh, in the Wake Up Newsletter at The Ankler, which you can get by subscribing at theankler.com to get the full suite of newsletters we do there, including Peter's upcoming piece on the agency world. Now I'm, I'm even intrigued, Peter. I'm about to 
see what, all right, well, you know, I'll wait. I'll wait. I'm, you know, won't, won't be nosy. It's all right. I'm, I'm like Elaine, the reporter. I'm just going to be chilled back and, you know, I'll wait for it to come to me, Peter. So I'm excited. Oh, to- God, you're, don't hype it too much. You're making me nervous already. God. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll get back to work. Maybe that's the way we should uh, round this out. So yeah, you have a piece to write. Elaine, you have, are you uh, back on the lines today, Elaine? Or are you taking a little bit of a break? I am. No, I'm going right. to on the lines. Going to check out whatever trucks those late night hosts are sending. That's yeah. You guys some food. Yeah, exactly. Check out the food. By the report. way, if you guys see me on the picket lines, come and say hi. I always want to hear from writers and other folks. Yes, and you'll be featured in the Daily Strikegeist uh, Roundup. You can, you can get also by subscribing over at strikegeist.com. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody, and uh, we'll see you next week. 